Well, good morning. It is good to be here. I'm excited to be up here to wrap up our final part of this series. If you get our emails from the church, then you'll know that Pastor George had a small medical procedure this week, and he would have loved to have been here, but the doctor told him to take a week off, and so that's what he's doing. If you got that email, you notice he asked you to pray for Cheryl because George is not very patient, nor is he a good patient. So make sure you pray for her as you pray for George's speedy recovery. I'm excited this morning because this is my favorite message out of the series that we're doing on relationships. Because this is the relationship, the relationship that makes everything else work, the relationship that makes your marriage work, that makes your parenting work, that makes your friendships work. This is the relationship that does all those. It's a relationship with who? God, exactly. So this morning before we get started, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us, for caring for us, and for being our friend. God, help us to learn today what that means, a friendship with you. Help us to learn how to deepen that and become your friend. God, we pray you would send your Holy Spirit in a mighty measure right now so that we can learn. God, I acknowledge that unless you teach us the Holy Spirit, that I'll just be saying words. So God, I fall on your promise that if your word goes forth through the Holy Spirit, it will not come back void. So God, we give this time to you for your glory and your honor. May you be praised in all we do. Amen. I don't know if you've really ever thought about it, but your relationship with God has many aspects. We call God our Father. We know that one. But God has many other names. God is our Redeemer. He's our Creator. He's our Maker. He's our Judge, ultimately. He's our Master. He's our Counselor. And He's our Savior. God has many aspects. But most perplexing of all, to me, is that God wants to be my friend. Have you ever thought about that? We just sang a song about it. It's easy to sing the song, I am a friend of God, but when we get all alone and we're there by ourselves, we begin to think, man, am I the kind of friend that God would want? Am I really God's friend? Is the transcendent God the creator of all? Does he really want to be a friend of mine? I hope today we'll answer that question because he does. He wants to be a friend of yours. The Bible says it this way. In James 4, 8, draw close to God and God will draw close to you. It's that simple. You draw close to God and he draws close to us. I want you to know that God's relationship, like us, he loves us. He set it up in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. There weren't a bunch of rules. There was only one rule. Don't eat from that tree. There wasn't a bunch of regulations. God didn't come down every day and give Adam and Eve a list of 10 things and say, okay, check off how well you did these. It was a relationship of love. It was just a simple loving relationship between God and Adam and Eve. That was the ideal. Good news is that ideal will come to be in a new heaven and a new earth one day. But in between, that relationship was ruined. It was ruined by sin. Sin broke the friendship. Sin broke that relationship, and it broke the fellowship that Adam and Eve had with God, and it was lost. So when you go through the Bible, you have to get about two-thirds of the way through it, all the way through the Old Testament, where Jesus enters. The Old Testament's all about Jesus, but we see him on the front stage in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you see very few people that were titled the friend of God. 
Abraham was, Moses, David, Enoch, Job. The Bible says definitely that they were friends of God. But there weren't many more. Most people in the Old Testament couldn't have a personal friendship with God. In fact, that relationship was out of guilt and fear. They feared God, but they obeyed Him out of that fear. But now we're on this side. We're not like the Old Testament priest who had to spend weeks and months preparing to make an offering in the Holy of Holies. Today, you and I can enter directly in there because one man came and changed it all. At the moment Jesus breathed His last breath on the cross and paid for our sins, the Bible says an amazing thing happened. It says the giant veil, the curtain between the Holy of Holies, which is where God resided, and the inner court, the veil was ripped open. The veil was a symbol of the separation between God and man for thousands of years. But whenever that was ripped open, we had a new symbol, that it was gone and we can now approach God directly. We could come there. Romans 5.10 says it this way. We were restored to friendship with God by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies. So we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by His life. Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us, circle this in your bulletin, making us friends of God. All because of what Jesus has done for us. What is that? He reconciled us to the Father and made us friends with God, no longer enemies. You can't buy that friendship. You can't just pile on all this good stuff in life and earn that friendship. You can't bribe God. You can't be good enough. You can't berate God. You can't yell enough. Only one thing can earn that, and that's the death and resurrection of Jesus. He paid that price, the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, the restoration of that relationship. It's God's grace by Jesus' sacrifice. John 15, 15, Jesus says it this way. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I call you my friends. Do you realize how radical that was in the Old Testament times? For Jesus just to come out and say, I now call you friends? With the God of the universe that created all things, life itself, hung the moon, put the stars, named the stars. That God now wants to be our friend. How important is our friendship to God? Have you ever thought about that? It's very important. Exodus 34, 14 says it this way. He is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. Did you know that? That God is passionate and gets jealous over his relationship with you? When you serve other gods, when I serve other gods like money and success and position and power and pleasure, any god, you can name it on this earth, when you serve them, the Bible says that God gets jealous for you. Hosea 6.6, God says this, I don't want your sacrifices, I want your love. I don't want your offerings, I want you to know me. It's no longer about sacrifices and offerings, it's about loving God in a friendship and knowing Him. I know it can be hard to grasp sometimes that the Creator of all, as we just talked about, wants to love us. But if you miss this, you miss the main purpose of life. And if you miss the main purpose of life, let me tell you where that leads you. It leads to boredom. It leads to us getting into all kinds of trouble we might not normally get into. 
If we miss the main purpose in life, we can spend our whole life going in one direction. We get there, we climb to the top of the wall and realize the ladder was on the wrong wall. So God is trying to tell us, I have a purpose for you and nothing is more important than that. doesn't matter how famous or successful or the most accomplished we could be. We could be the most accomplished person on this planet, but if we miss our purpose of knowing and loving God, we will have missed everything. The Bible says that God planned the entire universe so that you and I, as He orchestrates all of history, can come to know Him. He's wooing us. Acts 17 says it this way in a paraphrase. It says, starting from scratch, God made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living. Why would God do this? Simple, it says, so that we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find Him. That's God's number one purpose, is that we would find Him. God's made Himself easy to find through Jesus. So how is this possible? We're visible, God's invisible. We're weak, God's omnipotent. He's perfect, we're imperfect. We're a flawed, finite creature who is seeking God. We can't do that on our own. It takes one who is also perfect, one who is also omnipotent, one who is also infinite, Jesus. Through Him, we can know God and be reconciled to Him. So this morning, we're going to look at five practical disciplines of how you build a friendship with God. And I call them disciplines on purpose. They're not just key components. They're not things you may try. They are disciplines you must practice in order to be a friend of God and to feel His friendship back. As we go through these, we're going to compare it to marriage in contrast with marriage. Because God says that marriage is a picture of His relationship to the church, the bride. So I want us first this morning to define discipline. Discipline in Scripture says this, to make every effort to attain what you already have. The key there is to attain what you already have. When you become a Christian, you get it all. But then the Bible says not to work for, but then to work out your salvation so that you may attain these things. So let's jump right in. The first discipline is make knowing God your number one priority. Make knowing God your number one priority. I know that sounds simple, but it's a discipline because there's lots of competition for number one in our life. We're never going to become a friend of God in our spare time. Just like you would think it was ridiculous if I tried to build my marriage in my spare time. If I came to you as just a, a wise adult and asked you, can I build my marriage if I go be with my wife two hours every Sunday morning? you would say, ridiculous. There's no way you're going to build a deep relationship two hours on Sunday morning. Sometimes, though, that's the way we act with God. We would think that's silly in marriage, but in our relationship with God, we don't think it's so ridiculous. But we have to dedicate ourselves to making God our number one priority. And the great thing, Jesus says if we seek the kingdom first, then all these other relationships are added to us. My marriage gets better. My parenting gets better. And my friendships get better if I have God as number one. Paul says it this way. Everything else is worthless compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus. I've discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I may know Christ. It is my number one priority. Philippians 3.8. 
Jeremiah 29, 13 says it this way. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Are you doing that? Let me ask you that one question. Are you seeking God with all your heart every day? If you're going to become a friend of God, you must do that. My marriage only deepens when I focus on my wife. My relationship with God only blossoms when I focus on Him. And then all the other things are added to me. Write this down. I'm as close to God as I want to be. Did you know that? It's up to you. God is always wooing you. He's always there. If you think God's moved, guess who really moved? You. God is immovable. You're as close to Him as you want to be. It says right there in the verse we looked at, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You can't blame anyone else, your spouse, your kids, your boss. It's your own fault. If you're not as close to God as you want to be, you can make a difference. And it starts with making Him your number one priority. It is our greatest privilege of knowing God and our greatest satisfaction is when we know Him as our friend. Have you ever noticed that people brag on what's important to them? If your kids are important to you, you brag on them. If fishing's important to you, you're always telling a great fishing story. Same with golf. If partying is your lifestyle is important to you, you're always talking about the latest party you went to. We brag on what we think is important to us. Here's what God says in Jeremiah 9. He says, The wise must not brag about their wisdom. The strong must not brag about their strength. The rich must not brag about their money. But if someone wants to brag, let him brag that he really understands and knows me. Why does God say that? Because he created us and he knows what's best for us. Have you ever bragged about the fact that you know God? We call that testifying about God. Guess we go to our, our colleagues and say, you know what God did for me this week? And then we tell them, we're bragging about God. He must be our number one priority. The second discipline, we must slow down and be quiet with our Bible open in front of us. Slow down and be quiet. It's so hard to do in this day. It's a discipline. There's so many things grabbing for my attention. Just a power button on away from a whole world. But friendship like God is with any other friendship, like our marriage. We have to spend time to slow down and get to know our spouse if we're newly wed. Get to know our spouse as they get older and as they change. And if God is going to be our best friend, then we've got to sit down with Him and get to know Him. 40, Psalms 46.10 says it this way. Be still. That means to slow down. Be still and know that I am God. I don't care what you call this time, but you need to start and end your day with God. I'm not going to tell you how much time you need to spend. That would be a checklist. I'm going to tell you to spend all day with God. He's the first thing when you wake up and the last thing when you go to bed. You're with God. You're being still and knowing that He is God. And letting Him speak to you in that small, still voice and through the Bible. It says it this way in Psalms 25, 14. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who reverence Him. With them He shares the secrets of His covenant. Most people don't know about God. They only know facts about God. They don't know why He does what He does. They don't know what's going on in the world and why. Because friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence Him. If you want to be a friend with God, you have to reverence Him, be still and spend time with Him. You have to just find that place 
sit down, open your heart, begin to read God's word and listen and say, God, is there anything you want me to know today? And God wants you to know. As you get to know God deeper, you hear that voice more and more and you recognize it. It's not some special language. It's not a King James language. It's being authentic with God. I love the way the Message Bible says Matthew 6, 5 through 6. It summarizes it like this. When you come before God, don't turn it into a theatrical production. Just find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense His grace. That's what it means to be still and know that I am God. Third discipline. Decide whose friendship you want the most. That's another hard one to do. We don't have time to be everybody's friend. If everybody else is going to be your friend, then you won't have time for God. You've got to decide who you want to be your best friend. I want that to be God. 1 Timothy 6 says it this way. Some people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. They know baseball scores, the stock market quotes, the top ten songs. They may know how to find the best recipe and then compare it to Pinterest for just the right ingredients. You may know the most latest celebrity. I know people who know every next show series that's going to come out on Netflix. We know a lot of stuff. But this Bible verse says sometimes we don't know the most important thing, and that's God. So how could anyone miss that fellowship relationship with God when he says it's the most important thing? It's because there's so much in our world taking our time. One of the ways that Satan often attacks us is not just head on. He does it casually and gets us busy doing so many other things that we have no time for God. The Bible warns us that the cares of this world so easily entangle us and pull us down and quench the Spirit. James 4 says it this way, You should know that loving the world is the same as hating God. Wow, what does that mean? Anyone who wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. The Bible says, I don't want you to love the world. I want you to love the people in the world. We get it all mixed up. We love the world. We love the things of the world. Materialism, popularity, prestige, position, pleasure, all those P's George always mentions. We chase after those. We love the world, and we despise the people in the world. God says we've got it backwards. We should despise the things of the world and love the things of God and love His people who are His things. If you're going to be a friend of God, then you have to care about what God cares about. God doesn't care about the way you look. Do you realize that? God doesn't care about your image. He doesn't care about your reputation. He cares about your character. You know the great thing? When you build a godly character, your reputation is also good. But God doesn't care about your image and the way you look. God cares about who you are. John 15, 14 says it this way. You are my friends if you obey me. Let me clarify at this point. Sometimes we take this whole friend thing for granted. And we say it like this. Well, God's my good old buddy upstairs. No. That's not the friend I'm talking about. God is not your good old buddy. For instance, if I was a friend of a king, who's the king? The king. I'm not. I may be a friend of the king. I may get special confidences. I may get special time with the king. I may get special privileges, but I'm still not the king. 
I'm still his subject, even though I'm a friend, and I still am subject to the king. So that's what this Bible verse is saying here. You are my friend if you obey me. I'm still the king, although I want to have a friendship with you. I can't say I love Jesus if I live like the devil. I can't say I'm a friend of God if I have a self-centered life that's all about me. I can't say I'm a follower of Jesus and just randomly pick eight verses I'm not going to follow and eight verses I will follow. That's not a friend of God. A friend of God is one who obeys him and says, I am a friend of God and I'll obey my friend the king. Non-believers often look at us and say, well, you have such a restricted life as a Christian. You don't get to do a lot of things you want, and you don't do a lot of things I do because I like to. Why do we obey God? It's because He loves us. We love because He first loved us, the Bible says. We love Him and obey God because of our love. I don't do it out of fear or think that God's going to be disappointed in me. That's not why I obey God. Obedience is what I choose to do because it's what I want to do. I'll tell you this, I take all the illegal drugs I want to take. I get stoned and drunk anytime I want to. I cheat on my wife whenever I want to cheat on her. I rob banks when I want to. Guess what? I don't want to do any of that. I do it as much as I want to because I don't want to. What I want to do is spend time with God. What I want to do is go on mission trips. What I want to do is enjoy us as a church family. God changes your want to. So I'm not restricted. I do whatever I want to do, but it happens to be what God blesses. John 15 says this, I have loved you as the Father has loved me. When you obey me, you remain in my love, just as I remain in my Father's love when I obey him. I have told you this so that you will be filled with my joy and that your joy will overflow. That's what we're called to do, to obey God because we love him and we want to be his friend not out of duty or guilt. Discipline number four, to maintain a constant conversation. If you want to build a great marriage, a great friendship, if you want to have good relationships with your kids, it's just like with God. You have to maintain a conversation. And with God, we're told to do it constantly. You don't build a friendship haphazardly. It's purposeful, spending time with them. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 talks about 24 hours a day praying. It says, pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. Let me ask you a question. Would your life be better if you prayed as much as you text? That's a good question, isn't it? I ask myself that, except I don't like to text. But I could ask myself, would your life be better if you prayed as much as you talked on the phone or as much as you emailed or any of those other distractions that so easily entangle? I'm not saying any of those are wrong until they keep us from building that relationship with God. Do you know praying is kind of like texting, but you're doing it with God? It's not some special words or some sequenced words. Praying is just like you're texting. You say, good morning, God. What do you have for us for the day? God, I need to trust you at this moment. You can say, hey, just like you text, hey, God, we just had a burrito. We text those things. Just talk to God normal. God wants to be your friend. God doesn't want to be this great distant God who you think of as the great punisher father in the world who doesn't like you and disappointed often. 
No, God wants to be your friend. He wants to be present with you every moment of your day. It takes discipline to maintain that conversation. But the more you do it, the less crazy you feel and the better you feel. Discipline number five, and this is a hard one. Trust God in your pain. Every friendship is built on trust. The difference in an acquaintance and a friend is trust. We trust our friends. We trust them with secrets. We trust their advice. We trust. And that is the bedrock of every friendship, and it's true of God too. You've got to trust God, not just as your friend, as your king friend. That's the great thing there. You're trusting the king who makes the rules and in the bigger sense creates things he needs. God can create something out of nothing. His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. He is a great friend, but we have to trust him. Psalms 55, 22 gives us hope when we feel like we may be going over for the last time. It says, cast all your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Cast all your cares mean to drop it. It doesn't mean sometimes like fishing, you cast it and then you reel them back in. You cast your problems, you reel them. No, it means you cast them. In the fishing sense, it means you like you throw your pole in there, you're all committed. You're casting your cares on God at the foot of the cross because he cares for you. Do you know one of the reasons God allows pain? It's to build dependence and love. It's in order to draw us closer. When you're in pain, when you're in suffering, something's going wrong in your life, your prayers are a whole lot different. They're a lot more passionate. You're crying out, God, help me, instead of trying to find a right sequential word to say. You're not trying to move God. You're just falling on God. The greatest lesson I've learned from pain and suffering is this, that the more honest I am with God, the deeper my friendship becomes with Him. God drills deep with us when we want to drill deep with Him. We become frank and open and honest with Him. And we just let Him have it at times. That's okay. Out of 150 Psalms in the Bible, one-third of them are lamenting, letting God have it. They're saying, life sucks, God. Help. And God helps. God wants us to be dependent on Him. So our suffering and pain are a call to us to fall on Him, to cast our cares upon Him. The Hebrew people didn't realize this, that their journey through the sea, through the hardship, and through the desert would lead to the land of milk and honey. That's the way we need to be. We need to learn that lesson from all the Old Testament, that our trip through the desert, our suffering and trouble, will lead us to a land flowing with milk and honey, not only in this life, but in the life to come. I want to wrap this morning up, this morning up before we take communion by specifically talking to a couple of groups that I know are here this morning. One of them is you're facing trouble right now. You're at a point where you feel like the whole apex of the world is crushing you down. You're in trouble right now in some way. You feel persecuted by your own doing or by somebody else's doing, but you're suffering. Maybe it's physical, emotional, maybe it's relational or financial, but you're just saying, I'm in trouble. Psalms 91, 44 or 91 verse 14, God encourages this way. God says, I'll get you out of your trouble, and I'll give you the best care if you'll only get to know and trust me. What's the condition there? If you'll get to know me and trust me. You've got to build a friendship with God before you can trust him. 
He has your best interest. Romans 8 tells us all things work out for our good. Why? Because they make us more like Christ-like. doesn't mean it works out great in the world that we see sometimes, but it works out for our good because it builds our character that then builds our deeper relationship with God. God is right there. For that group that's in trouble, let me just say to you, hang on. God's there. That desert you're in may lead to a land, a promised land that flows with milk and honey. The Bible says this is an encouragement, Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is there. Do not fear, for he is with you. And there's a second group here today. I know that's in every church family. You have been close to God in the past, but you feel distant now. You feel like you've fallen away. You don't have the joy you once had. You're bored. You're weary. You're just tired. And your spiritual life, your friendship with God is not what it once was. Job 29.4 talked about Job feeling this. Job said, in my early years, the friendship with God was felt in my home. Maybe you grew up in a home of faith, and you've come back now looking for that faith again. You can find it. The Bible says you can find it. Jeremiah 15 says it this way. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak words that are worthy, you will be my spokesman. You are to influence them, and do not let them influence you. That's interesting, isn't it? It says, return to me, and I'll restore you. God knows who generally pulls us away. It's friends that truly aren't friends. People have been influencing you in the wrong way. Don't let other people keep you from a friendship with God. Don't let that happen. They're not your friends. If somebody's drawing you away from God, they're not a friend because you can't trust them. And if you can't trust someone, they're not really a friend. If you're in that category and you feel distant from God right now, God is not finished with you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've done it with or how long you've done it. God doesn't either. What matters is where you're moving from this point forward. God can forgive your past, and we're going to talk about a little bit in communion. Forget your past. He's considered where you are today and where you're headed. It's just like the prodigal son. We don't have time to go there. But in the prodigal son, the son finally realizes that he is prodigal. And he runs back to the father. And the father receives him and takes care of him just like a son. He will restore you if you're far away from him. So that we might not forget these promises, God has given us two symbols that represent his reconciliation to us, to his father. Jesus gave us two symbols that we might remember the cost that it was to tear that veil in half and give us direct access to God. One of the symbols is baptism. You saw some ads. It's in your bulletin. We're going to baptize in a few weeks. There's a baptism class because one of the oxymorons that we have today that they never had in the New Testament is an unbaptized believer. That just shouldn't be. That's not a term in the Bible. So if you're a believer, one of those steps that you may need to take to deepen your friendship with God is the act of baptism because Jesus himself was baptized and he commanded us to be. There's a class in a few weeks, you'll see there in your bulletin, that will help you understand that. May I challenge you, if you want to be baptized, take your card out right now and commit in writing 
hey, contact me about baptism because I've never done that act of obedience and I want to obey God and be his friend. The second symbol that we've been given is called the Lord's Supper. And we have that here before us this morning. So at this time, I'm going to ask our servers to come forward and to begin to take the elements and hand them out as we partake of the Lord's Supper. You guys may go ahead and take these and hand them out to our church family. There are two cups in each one of these containers. One is the juice that's on top and one underneath it's the bread. So if, if you're visiting with us or you're new, make sure you take both of those cups. As we're handing out these elements, let me kind of go through a couple of things in the Bible that it talks about. It says there are four words in the Bible that we use to symbolize this death and resurrection of Jesus. One of them is called breaking bread. It says they broke bread together house to house and in the temple courts. The second word is called communion. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says it's communion. The Greek word is koinonia, which means fellowship or communion. 1 Corinthians 11, a couple of verses later, calls it the Eucharist. Eucharist literally means thanksgiving in Greek. And then finally, the fourth word for it is the Lord's Supper. And here at LifePoint, we call it the Lord's Supper or we call it communion. It doesn't matter what you call it, it's all the same. It's a symbol that we're supposed to do, take, and remember what God did to, for us. The Lord's Supper reminds us of two things, two most important questions that God's already answered through this simple act of remembrance. One is, do I matter to God? And two, can I be forgiven? Does my puny little life have any meaning? God says, yes. Communion is that reminder. One of those things we remember is that my life matters to God. It matters so much that God so loved the world that he came Jesus gave his body to be broken, gave his lifeblood so that we might have the remission, a big Bible word, of sin. That's what this is a reminder of. Somebody has to pay for our sins, either you or somebody else. So God says, I have come, Jesus has come to earth to do it for you, to show you how much God loves us. The Lord's Supper says, yes, I matter to God. Jesus said it this way in Scripture. No one shows greater love than when he lays down his life for his friends. And he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. He says in 1 John 1, 9 is a reminder of what we're doing here. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive those sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So as you take those elements, first take the bread. This is a reminder that Christ's body was broken for us. Jesus says this, when he was in the Lord's Supper, when he was first giving this in that first century with his disciples, they were having a meal together. And Jesus says, on the night he was betrayed, he says he took bread and broke it, and he blessed it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Let's pray before we eat. Thank you, God, that I matter to you this much. Thank you that your body was broken for me and that by your stripes I am healed and reconciled to the Father. 
God, help me remember that through this, you want to be my friend. Thank you, God, that you came to earth to die for me, for us. In Jesus' name, we remember. Take the bread and eat. The second question the communion answers is this very important question. Can I be forgiven? We all want to be forgiven. We want to have the slate wiped clean and begin a new creation in life. That's a question I ask, we all ask. Can I become a new man, a new woman? Can I be forgiven? Can I start over? Can I be born again? Can I have a brand new start? Yes. Communion says yes to that question. It says this, that God has forgiven us through the blood of Jesus and has given us a brand new start. So as we take this cup, let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life and blood so that we could have forgiveness and the remission and the forgottenness of our sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. It's in your name we pray. Take, eat, and remember. So as we finish this worship service, what does God command us to do next? 1 John 3.23 tells us this. And this is what God commands, that we believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love each other just as He commanded. We are to believe in His Son and belong to His family and love one another. The answer is my sins can be forgiven, and they have been forgiven. All failures, my sins, my crimes, all those things I have done against God can be forgiven and forgotten. Let's look at two quick verses before we end this. Jesus says, as far as the east is from the west, I've separated you from your sins. That means forever. It says, their sins I will remember no more. He puts them out of sight. They're out of mind. You and I can't do that by God's grace. If you and I could forget the pain of our sin, if we could really forget that, we would repeat it. So we can't forget. But God chooses to forget. As far as the east is from the west, I'll remember their sins no more. And God says, I choose to forgive and forget your sins if you've accepted my son and his price he paid for them. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a free gift of God. Before we pray and close, I want to talk to one more group here I know here today. It's for that group that's never opened your life to Jesus. You may have known all about Jesus. You may have known him as a kid, but you've never been a friend of Jesus. You've never tasted salvation, and you're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to earn God's merit. Guess what? Impossible. Billy Graham can't earn God's merit. It's only through Jesus. So I ask you today to surrender your life to Jesus. I ask you to give what you have over to him right now, and say, I commit my life to you. You simply do that through prayer. Pray with me right now if you've never done that before. Dear God, I want to be your friend. I want to be reconciled to you through Jesus. I want you to be the most important thing in my life. I thank you that I matter to you. God, I thank you that I matter enough that you sent Jesus to die for me to make me new and whole and reconciled to you. And I thank you, God, for wanting me as a friend. I want to learn to know you and trust you. 
God, I humbly ask you to accept me into your family right now as a new believer. I know I don't deserve it, and I can't earn it. It's a free gift because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. So today, God, I'm saying to you, I surrender my life to your son, and I want to belong to your family. I pray this in Jesus' name. And for the rest of us, God, who have already done that, may we feel your call to be your friend today. May we feel a draw to be who you want us to be. May we obey you. God, may you give us the strength, the desire to want to spend time with you, to make you number one in our life, to focus on you. God, help us to know anything in our life right now that so easily entangles us and keeps us from loving you. You are our friend through Jesus, but you're still our king. Oh, God, it makes me happy to know that, that you're the king and you're still in control. May you show this group of people here, my church family, how much you love them and how much you've forgiven their sin and forgotten it. We pray this, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. As our ushers begin to take up God's tithes and offerings, let me remind you of one thing before we end. God loves you. That's the most important thing you need to take from church each week, that God loves you. And because he loves you, it should lead you to want to live a different life, a life that honors him as his friend, as a friend of the king. I want you to leave here this morning feeling motivated. Please don't feel guilty. And like I put five more burdens on you, these disciplines will free you up to be who God's made you to be. They'll free you up to get your past in the past and move on towards the future. They'll help you get unstuck and live God's abundant life for you. God loves you, not because of anything you've done, but because he's done it all so that you could be loved by him. Leave here today above all else knowing that you are loved and your past is forgiven. Quit bringing it up and using it as an excuse not to do what God's called you to do. As one of your pastors who loves you and prays for you desperately, know that God loves you. I love you. He's called you. He's gifted you to make a difference in the world. So I pray today that you would leave here remembering what God's called us to remember, to go and make disciples of all those around you. You have the greatest gift in the world, a friendship with God. Now go and tell others about it. Thank you. Thank you.